We do what Jesus did. He let go of all that stuff. Why? Because peace was important. Before you can have peace with man, before we can have this racial harmony and everybody holding hands and singing kumbaya together, before that can actually literally happen, there has to be peace with God. And Christ knew that. And so he came down to deal with the peace with God part first so that the peace with man part is actually possible. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 27th, 2017. Today, Pastor Olu brings us part two of his message entitled, The World Engines, Peter and the Biblical Response to Racism. I don't identify with the color of my skin. I don't identify with the amount of melanin in my skin. I don't identify with which country I'm from, which country my grandparents are from. I don't identify with which island I'm from. I don't identify which part of the country I come from. I don't identify with who is in my tax bracket. As a believer, my responsibility is to identify with Christ. Pastor Olu teaches us how Jesus responded to those who hated him. He also brings to light how our identity is not based on the color of our skin, but how it's rooted in Christ. Now he'll be reading from Acts chapter 10. So feel free to grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. World engines. We've been talking about the world engines, the world engine theme, the whole idea of the world engine, again, from Man of Steel, the Superman movie that came out a couple years ago, was the fact that the general came, General Zod, and he came to Earth. And the purpose of it was to transform Earth to where he was from, the planet Krypton. And so to do that, he brought this world engine. And the world engine's job was to come down and transform this planet Earth, its atmosphere, its ecology, the landscape, the plants, the animals, to change everything to resemble where he came from, his home under his rule. And we were looking at that as a mirror image of what God has required us to do. Remember in Jesus's prayer, he was showing his disciples, he said, thy will on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so the whole concept of the world engine is what heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven under God's rule here on this earth. And so our responsibility as a body of Christ is to transform the world outside of those doors, the society, the system, the cosmos from the earth, how it is to where we're from. We talked about last week, our identity is in Christ. And the Bible says we are not of this world, though we're in this world, we're not of this world. And so that's the whole concept of the world engine. And turn with me real quick to Revelation chapter seven. I want to read that. Revelation chapter seven, starting at verse nine. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, written by John, the apostle, disciple of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. So this is a vision that John has. God was giving him a sneak peek behind the curtains of what was going on in heaven, the kingdom where God rules. After this, I looked up and behold, a great multitude, a whole lot of people that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in our hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Notice it says a great number of people from all tribes and peoples and languages, all tribes and people and languages. That's what's going on in heaven. And so our responsibility as the body of Christ is to bring that concept here on earth. That gives us a glimpse into one aspect of what it means about the kingdom of heaven, what's going on in heaven. That's radically different than what we see today. 
all peoples, all languages, all cultures, all tribes. Matter of fact, you've heard the statement that Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, is the most segregated time in America. White folks in white churches, black folks in black churches, Spanish folks in Spanish churches, so-and-so, 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 all spread across nations, segregated into their own group, their own kind, because it's more comfortable to them. And it didn't start today. It didn't start 50 years ago with civil rights. It didn't start 100 years ago. It started all the way back at the beginning of this thing, in Acts chapter 10. And that's where we were last week. So turn back with me to Acts chapter 10. When God came to Peter, he said, hey, Peter, I want you to go and talk to these Gentiles and begin to take the word of God to these Gentiles. Peter had issues with that. We went into detail about that last week, but eventually he got up and went. The Bible says he went with this, uh, to the Roman centurion, to Cornelius, and Cornelius and his house were saved. They believed the word of God, and they received the word of God. The Bible said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and their entire lives were changed because of that, and Peter was excited. He came back to Jerusalem, to all the apostles, to all the believers, and said, hey, guys, guess what? I just went out with some Gentiles, told them about Jesus, they got saved. And remember the response that they got. Chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 of Acts, it says that the apostles, so James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew, Matthew, Matthias, the Bible said they looked at him and they criticized him. The word means they cut him up, they sliced him up, they separated him thoroughly. How could you do this? We don't talk to them people. We don't get with them people. We don't hang with them people. And so Peter began in chapter 11 to go through a dialogue of what had happened. And so as a recap of last week, we looked at a couple of things, talking about, as far as the world engine, we looked at, do my responses to the socio-political issues, to those ideas, or those ideologies, do they match up with the biblical or the kingdom response? That's what we looked at. Because Peter was faced with that. The social during that time was, we don't talk to them people, we don't hang with them people, we don't associate ourselves with those people for different reasons. But Peter had to be obedient to God. And so we talked about last week, does our social political responses to what's going on in the world today, what's going on, what we deal with, do they match, do they line up with the word of God? Are they a kingdom? Do we respond with a kingdom response? We also looked at the idea of separating the ideology from the people with the ideology. How the Bible says that with the ideology, with those ideas, those we talked about those ancestral uh, ideas that, that, that trickle from the past, especially talking about with racism. Our responsibility to the ideals are to take the scripture and line it up. Say, okay, here's the word of God says, here's what you believe. Here's what you're saying. Let's see if they match. And if they don't, then we address it. If they do, we're good to go. That's what we do with ideologies, with those ideas. With the people, though, the Bible tells us in Luke, to love, even our enemies. Do good to those who hurt you to despitefully use you. Nobody likes to get used. The Bible says do good to those who use you, who are out to get you. That's our response to that according to the word of God. And lastly, we talked about the third race. With Jews and the Gentiles and this whole historian wrote about this third group of people. They were different than everybody else. They loved differently. They responded to trials and tribulations differently. They worshiped differently. And our responsibility to the body of Christ, our responsibility to Christ is to have a change of heart. We cannot be attached to this world system. We must have a change in heart, a change to our mind, a change to our emotion, a change to our will. That's what had to happen to Peter. That's what got Peter off that roof into Cornelius' house. And that's what needs to happen to us as the body of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 11, we'll finish this today. 
Peter was talking to apostles and to believers there, and he was telling them what happened, and he got down to verse 12, and he said in Acts eleven twelve, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinctions. I like how the King James says it. The King James says, and the Spirit bade me go. I like that. The Spirit bade me go with no distinctions. The Spirit commanded him to go. That word is funny. It says with no distinctions. That term with no distinctions is the exact same word. Look up in verse, uh, verse chapter 2. Exact same words where it says, and Peter went up to Jerusalem and the circumcision party criticized him. That word criticized is the exact same word that the Holy Spirit used in verse 12 when he said, and the Spirit told him to go, making no criticism. He used the exact same term there. No difference. No separation. Don't chop them up. Don't condemn. Don't call the question. Don't judge because of how they look, who they're from, how they dress, what nationality they are, what culture they come from, what's where they are on the social status. The Holy Spirit said, go, making no distinction. That's no means that's absolutely no. It's a double negative in the, in the original language. No, not one distinction. That's our command. And we look at that through the fact and we talked about last week about identity transformation. Now that we are in Christ, Ephesians, our favorite book of the Bible, now that we are in Christ, our identity, who we are, who I am, comes from Christ. Therefore, who I am is not attached to who society says it should be attached to. So because of who I am in Christ, I am free from all the bondage. I'm free from the bondage of this cosmos, the bondage of the world. I'm redeemed because of my identity, who I am in Christ is an identity transformation. And so I don't identify with the color of my skin. I don't identify with the amount of melanin in my skin. I don't identify with which country I'm from, which country my grandparents are from. I don't identify with which island I'm from. I don't identify which part of the country I come from. I don't identify with who is in my tax bracket. As a believer, my responsibility is to identify with Christ. So now that I am Christ, I'm free from that. I'm free from those bondages of the world. I'm free from perverted racial pride. I'm free of that. I'm free from hatred toward others. I don't have to hate you now because of whatever. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I'm free from those built-in traditions. All those traditions that have been passed down from grandfather to great-grandfather to great all the way down to me. Those things that we just do because that's what we do or that's how we are. I'm free from all those traditions that perpetuate the variety of practices and beliefs and social relations and phenomenon that work to reproduce that ethnic, cultural, national, or tribal hierarchy and social structure that yields superiority, power, and privilege for some, and discrimination and oppression for others. I'm free of that. Why? Because my identity is not in my race, in my culture, in my social status. My identity is who I am in Christ. And because of that, I'm free. And because of that, I can go. That's why the Holy Spirit told Peter, go. It was a command. Go making no distinctions. This revolutionary radical rethink. I love all those R's. Revolutionary radical rethink. Of the abandonment. The leaving, the getaway of that perverted allegiance to those ideologies, those ideas of the world. That abandonment wasn't primarily for the purpose of racial harmony. He didn't tell him to go hang with them because we, I want everybody to hold hands and the color rainbow around the world. And love all people. That wasn't the primary purpose of that. That wasn't the primary purpose of this radical new thing. The primary purpose was for being world engines. He said, go 
making no distinctions. But the command was to go. See, our responsibility is to transform the world, and in the world are the people of the world. And so my responsibility is to transform the people of all race, all color, all culture, all social status. I'm supposed to be the one like that world engine to come to you, heathen, who don't know the Lord, no matter what color creed you are. And I'm supposed to make God's kingdom where you are. And in doing that, I, with the Holy Spirit, introduced you to the kingdom. And now you are part of the kingdom of God. That was the reason for this. That's the reason for the goal. We get so caught up sometimes in other things that we forget about our mission, the great commandment, the great commission, what we're supposed to be doing. That's why this was. It's funny, those, because we're free from that, and so we don't have to be bound by those restrictions anymore. But those who were in bondage to those ancestral, historical, perverted allegiances, they attempted to get even Jesus to back off. They attempted to get Jesus to separate himself. No distinctions. To separate himself. They attempted to get Jesus not to go, to distance himself from those who didn't line up with their belief systems or their ideologies. Who those who didn't respond how they thought you should respond. In Luke chapter 15, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 15 to 2, the, the Pharisees were, were, were condemning Jesus and they said, this man receives sinners. And eats with them. And it's the word for receive there is a, it's a unique word in the Greek. That word actually means to establish intimate access to oneself. To give intimate access to oneself. The word actually stems from another word that means to hold hands. And what they were saying was that this guy, this Jesus guy, he holds hands with sinners. He allows them intimate access into his life. You ain't supposed to do that. They're heathens. They're sinners. And because of that, they, you know, do you see what he did? Do you see what that guy did, Jesus? Do you see what he didn't do? Do you see how he living? Do you see how he responded to that? Oh, if you associate yourself with them, Jesus, then my goodness, you must be like them. Or you must condone what they do, how they do what they do. How can anybody who calls themselves godly or spiritual associate with somebody like that? How, how can anything have, how can anybody have anything to do with that man? How can you have anything to do with that woman? You must be a sellout. You must be Uncle Tom. This is what they approach Jesus with, trying to get him to separate himself. But Jesus didn't respond that way. He didn't stand in solidarity with his kind. <laughs> he didn't stand with those who shared his ancestral allegiance. He didn't stand with those people who had those ideologies that this is what you're supposed to do. No. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I didn't come here to heal those people who are already healed. I came here to heal the sick. So the first thing Jesus did was he engaged in uncomfortable, authentic, genuine relationships with those people who wasn't of his class and culture and race. He engaged and uncomfortable. What was uncomfortable? He spoke and he drank with the Samaritan woman at the well. Even though she was from a perverted and damaged culture and racial heritage, and even though she lived a promiscuous life, he showed mercy and kindness to prostitutes and the woman caught in adultery. Even though they were doing things total opposite of how he said you're supposed to live, he helped the Syrophoenician woman. It was a Syrophoenician woman in the Bible, and her daughter had a demon. And she came to Jesus and was like, can you feel me with a demon? And everybody was like, wait, 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 wait. You're not even a Jew. How are you going to come talk to us? 
Like, what's the deal? But Jesus showed mercy on her, even though her culture was exact opposite of Christ. Her racial heritage, her ideology, her socio-political leanings weren't lined up with what Jesus was, but he had an uncomfortable, genuine, authentic relationship with her. He touched lepers, though they were the outcasts, though they were the abandoned, those who were without hope. He ate with tax collectors. Now, these guys was the scum of the scum of the scum. They were evil, diabolical, sneaky, wicked, liars, sellouts to their own race. Jesus ate with them. He ate with sinners, murderers, liars, cheaters, homosexuals, prostitutes, Republicans, Democrats, ultra conservatives, ultra liberals, white nationalists, alt-right, KKK, Muslims, Buddhists, Jehovah's Witness, Romans, Greeks, Gentiles, Jews, slaves, free, good, bad, the ugly. He let all that stuff go. And he had uncomfortable, intimate, genuine relationships. And in those he abandoned that ancestral perverted allegiance to those ideologies. I'm supposed to not talk to you. I'm supposed to not sit with you. I'm not supposed to get a relationship with you. I'm not supposed to rub shoulders with you. I'm not supposed to be seen with you. Jesus said, forget all that because I'm on a mission. That wasn't his primary purpose. I'm not here. I'm not concerned with that. He abandoned that. And not only did he abandon that, he addressed it. He embraced it. And not only that, but he took their conduct and their actions and their hearts, the mind, emotion, will, and he lined them up with the scriptures. He lined them up with the word of God and he addressed. He evaluated their conduct, action, and hearts using the standard of the word of God. And he addressed the discrepancies. He addressed the gaps. And he addressed the areas that they fell short. He told that woman of the well, oh, you got five husbands. And the one you're living with is not even one. He addressed the sin. He confronted that. This is our response, folks. What's our biblical response to this stuff? This is what it is. We do what Jesus did. He let go of all that stuff. Why? Because peace was important. Before you can have peace with man, before we can have this racial harmony and everybody holding hands and singing kumbaya together, before that can actually literally happen, there has to be peace with God. And Christ knew that. And so he came down to deal with the peace with God part first so that the peace with man part is actually possible. In Acts, turn back to one chapter, in Acts chapter 10. Peter, I love this part of Peter. It's how this part of the story ends. Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 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 34, Peter says, so Peter opened his mouth. This is after Cornelius and his family and everybody in his house was saved. And after he says, thank you, and the Holy Spirit came. So Peter, verse 34, chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows, watch this, no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears, anyone means anyone, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God accepts them. For as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. There has to be peace. The gospel of peace. The gospel. So Peter said he's come preaching the gospel of peace, the good news of peace, the well message. I like the good gospel means well message, the well message of peace. That's why our responsibility is, first of all, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And we learned last week that from that comes the second commandment. And love your brothers. Love those around you. Love others as you love yourself. 
That's what I'm supposed to do. And then my commandment, my commission, the great commission says, now go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's my concern. That's how I respond to not only racism, but that's how I respond to every situation. That's what's so cool about this. It's not just because racism is how we respond to that. It's how I respond to all things in my life. If I am a believer, if I am part of the body of Christ, our responsibility is to address that primary focus. Engage in uncomfortable. And, 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 and Peter, Peter engaged in uncomfortable. Because remember, who came to get him? Now, Cornelius was a Roman. He was a Roman centurion. So that means he was a ruler. He was like the police. Uh-oh. So Peter chilling in his house. All of a sudden, the police show up. The police show up at his house and say, you need to come with us. And so he's dealing with the police. These are the Roman people who are walking around who are policing the area. The fuzz. He walks back with them from Joppa where he was to Caesarea. is a 13-hour trip. So for 13 hours, he's walking with these guys. These Romans, the police, the guards. These two servants of Cornelius. That's uncomfortable. You walk with somebody for 13 hours, you run out of conversation after like 30 seconds. I ain't got nothing else to say. Yeah, in sandals. And not only that, it wasn't, they didn't walk straight. They had to stop and eat. They sat down and had a meal. When last time you had a meal, I was thinking about this myself. When was the last time I had a meal with someone who was not of my culture, race, social class? And I'm talking about work. Sometimes at work, we go to lunch, we go to dinner. But outside of that, I'm talking about something I engage in. I say, you know what? I'm going to sit down. Because when you sit down and we eat with somebody, that's intimate. You know, we bring you over to the house for dinner. When was the last time I did that? When was the last time I was in an uncomfortable situation for the purpose of spreading the gospel of peace? That's what Jesus did. That's what God calls us to do. Peter made that proclamation. Now I know God shows no partiality and he accepts them all. That's where we need to be in life. We need to understand that. That God shows no partiality and he accepts all. So that's the end of the story, right? The Bible says that the, 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 the apostles, back in chapter 11, the Bible says that the apostles, <laughs> it's funny, it says in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They shut up. And they glorified God saying, then, if this is the case, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that lead to life. So everything was happy. Everybody was good. Racial harmony spread across Jerusalem. <laughs> and never had that problem again. Until you turn a couple of books over to the book of Galatians. Turn me to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Now this was Peter. Peter went back and said, look here, James. Look here, John. Uh... I'm was obedient to God. I'm supposed to. God has told me to abandon all these ancestral, perverted uh, pride of race. Told me to get rid of all those ideologies of the world system and embrace one another with love. <laughs> so in Galatians chapter 2, this is reading, by, of course, by Paul. In Grace, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul tells a little story. He says, but when Cephas, now Cephas is Peter's real name. But when Peter came to Antioch, watch this, I opposed him to his face. Uh-oh. Because he's still condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, James was a, ran a church in Jerusalem. So before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter was sitting with the Gentiles, doing what he do. God shows no partiality. So he was eating with them, having intimate relations with them, pulling them into his life. But when they came, those guys that came from Jerusalem, those Jews that came from James, when they came, watch this, he drew back and separated himself. There's that word again. Fearing the circumcision party. I like it when I see that. The circumcision party was in the house. Boom, we're in the house. Y'all know what time it is. Separate. And Paul said it was so bad that the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. You got to watch your actions. Other people are watching you, body of Christ. And people are going to do what you do because you say you say you love God. So what you must be doing was how we must be supposed to be doing it. And so when Peter got up from eating with the Gentiles, when the Jews showed up, when the circumcision party go up, a bunch of other Jews got up and did the same thing. So that even Barnabas, that Barnabas was Paul's road dog. Even Barnabas was led astray by their, by his hypocrisy. Paul said, I had to condemn him to his face. Hypocrisy is an interesting word. That word is a word that they use in acting. It was, it was a word for an actor, for a stage. Hypocrisy means that you are doing something, you are acting, or you're saying something that's not really you, who you really are, or acting like how you really don't act. You're acting like somebody else or something different than who you are. So it was acting. So it was a word used in the theater. Oh, we're going to watch some hypocrites today, boy. Yeah, boy. That's what that word meant. And so Peter Paul said that he was acting hypocritically. Why? Because his identity was in Christ. So who he was was in Christ. And so his responsibility to act like who you are. I tell my kids all the time when they leave, remember your last name. I should say remember you're in Christ. Maybe I should start changing that. But I say remember you're Bolden. And Boldens don't act like that. We are in Christ. And his identity, Peter's identity was in Christ. And so his action was supposed to be Christ-like. His words were supposed to be Christ-like. And so when they were not... When he acted out himself, we didn't act like he was supposed to or who he was. Paul called him out and said, you've been a hypocrite. You've been an actor. And the Bible says he condemned him to his face. He didn't wait to get him in the secret. He didn't wait to, hey, man, let me come, let me holler at you real quick. He condemned him to his face right then and there. We have to be careful, guys. Why? Why, Paul? Why did you condemn him to his face? Verse 14. Now watch this closely. This is, this, this is it. This is the world engine right here. This is how we live our life right here. Peter, Paul condemned to the face, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's the gospel and there's the truth of the gospel. And Paul says that your conduct must be in step with that. That word there, conduct in step, <laughs> in the Greek, the word is orthopodio. That's where we get our word orthopedics from. You know what orthopedics are. That's what you put on your feet, help you, help you walk good, help you walk straight. Some people have a problem with the feet, whatever. Your orthopedics, that help you walk straight. They help you walk how you're supposed to walk, not wavering. Paul used that word. He said their conduct, how they were walking. They were walking like this. 
They were having hard times moving. Their conduct, their walk was not in line with the truth of the gospel, the well message. Peter didn't pursue a straight course in relation to the truth of the gospel. He didn't deal honestly or consistently with the truth of the gospel. He warped it. He misrepresented it. He dealt crookedly with it. So Paul had to call him out because he knew better. And so he had to call him out because there was the truth of the gospel and he dealt crookedly with it. We as the body of Christ, we as world engines have to make sure that we are walking in truth, walking correctly, walking upright with the truth of the gospel. And that's both the content and the scope. We talked about that. What's the truth of the gospel? Well, the truth of the gospel, the content of the gospel is faith alone. In the finished work of the risen Christ who died on the cross for our sin, who rose again in three days, rose bodily and gives eternal life to everyone who places their internal destiny into his hand. The truth of the gospel is believe and then receive. But it's by faith alone. And so Peter was jacking that up because he circumcision party says, yeah, you got to believe in faith. But you also have to follow our old ancestral laws. And you have to follow the ideologies that we grew up with. you got to add that, too, to your salvation. And so by Peter separating himself, he was pulling in that old culture into the body of Christ, into the gospel. And so Paul said, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that because we cannot warp the truth of the gospel. And the other part that he was doing, not only the content of the gospel, but we talked about a couple of months ago, the scope of the gospel. Scope of the gospel, what we're supposed to be doing in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus, and we, we went over this. Jesus, when he showed up in the temple, right before he started off his ministry, he, grabbed, he walked to the front, grabbed the scroll, started talking, then dropped the mic and rolled out. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Watch this. What's the scope of the gospel? To proclaim the good news, the gospel, the well message to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So those who are captive, I came to release you. To recover those sight to the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the scope of the gospel is to give sight to the blind, to liberate those who are oppressed, broken, shattered into pieces. Those who are burdened, dejected, coupled in hopelessness. Freedom. Proclaim the year of the Lord. The year of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, there was a time they celebrated called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a cycle of sevens. So let's say you had seven years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That was one cycle. Then after that, you had another seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's two sevens. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's three sevens. All the way down until you get to seven sevens. Once you already know sevens, God, seven days, God rested. Seven is important to God. So once you get to seven cycles of seven, that's 49 years. On that 50th year was called the year of Jubilee. What happened to the year of Jubilee was that everybody was free. And I mean everybody. If you were a slave, you were supposed to be set free that year. If you owe somebody some money, let's say I owe Jade $150,000. If I could just wait to the year of Jubilee, I wouldn't have to pay them back. Why? Because all debt has been wiped away. If anybody captured somebody for whatever reason, you had to let them go. It was so much that it was a year of Jubilee, not just for people, but for the field. You couldn't work for a whole year. You don't go out and reap the field. You don't go work the field for anything for a whole year. Why? Because it was a year of Jubilee, a year of freedom, a year of justice, a year of God is letting it go. A year of Jubilee. That's what Jesus said I've come to bring. That's the scope of the gospel. We're supposed to tell them about Christ. We also need to let them know that they can be free. And that's what the gospel is. The atonement of a sin 
and now justice is made possible. Justice is made possible based on who we are in Christ. The reason we are where we are in this world is because we, are, we have warped the truth of the gospel. The reason you turn on the TV and you see all the things that's going on, because we, the body of Christ, the church, we have misrepresented, just as Peter did. We were walking crookedly with, we have warped, we have uh, uh, not pursued a straight course. Our shoes are jacked up, that's basically it, when it comes to the truth of the gospel. And so we're telling people they can get saved from just walking down on the Repeat after me. Oh, you're Christian now. Yay. The content and also the scope. We're not in the world preaching the year the Jubilee is here. We're not as a one body, as one united body, hands, feet of Christ. We're not out there setting captives free. We're caught up in our own little churches, our own little cliques, our own little areas. Our responsibility as a body of Christ, the reason why we see what's going on in the world is because we are not taking care of our responsibilities. We're not preaching or living the truth of the gospel. Look with me in Romans chapter 8. Because of what Christ did, now justice is possible. Justice is possible now. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, I read it starting at three for God has done for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The atonement, God sent his son. He died on the cross. He did that. The gospel message was done in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be done for us. The whole incentive of God's redemption was for justice. There had to be justice with God. And there's justice here on earth. So how does the law relate to justice? Well, the law's purpose is to bring justice. That's what the purpose of the law is, to bring justice. If someone's rights have been revoked, you know, you have a right to own your own property. So if somebody comes and steal my property, my rights have been revoked. And so the law steps in and corrects that. If someone's uh, uh, rights have been revoked or belittled, that's an absence of justice. The law seeks to remedy this. So the law seeks to bring back justice. So the Bible says that one of the incentives for God's redemptive love is to bring justice. God, why? Because God is justice. I'm says God is a just God. It's not a quality that he has. It's like, you know, God is just. No, God, that's who he is. He doesn't have just justice. He is just. And what just means is the idea of moral fairness and impartiality. That's what just means. Moral fairness and impartiality. And so God cares about justice. He cares about goodness. He cares about those things. That's one of the reasons why Jesus himself came to die was to spread justice around. And because God cares about it, we as the body of Christ should also care about it. We should care about justice. We should want to make sure that there is moral fairness and moral impartiality across the world. As a matter of fact, God ordained an entire institution to take care of that. 
God, there's, there's a couple institutions that God ordained. One is the institution of marriage in Genesis. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father, shall join to a wife, and they shall become one. So God ordained the institution of marriage. He also set up the institution of the church. So you are the body of Christ. You are arms, the feet, the legs, the eyes, the elbows of Christ. So go out into the world and commission. God also ordained <laughs> the institution of government for that purpose. Turn a couple of chapters over to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 1 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Uh-oh. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant, oh my goodness, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant. There it is again. By the way, that word servant there is the same word that Paul used when he's describing an elder of a church or a minister. The same word. He is God's minister. He is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on evildoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, authorities, and the ministers, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, watch this, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. God has set up the institute of the government for justice. He has ordained them to promote just order and to promote moral fairness and more impartiality and to restrain evil. So what's my response to that? Well, I had to understand that the government is a divine institution and a divine authority. They're servants, they're ministers. I like the word avengers. The avenger means to send out justice. That's what God has the government for. So two things I'm supposed to do. One, I'm supposed to hold them accountable. Okay. Government, president, Congress, governor, lieutenant governor, police, sheriffs. You have a responsibility for moral fairness and impartiality because God has ordained you to do that. And so my responsibility is to hold them accountable to that. I'm supposed to. And so when I see the government, the authority, the police, whoever not being just, not being morally fair, I'm supposed to do what the scripture says, take their conduct, line it up with the word of God and say, okay, nope, that falls short of the word of God. We got to fix that. But my other responsibility, the Bible tells me, is to honor, to respect, and to pray for them. So I have to do both. I hold them accountable, but I also have to honor them. What's crazy about this, Paul wrote this. He said that the authorities are ministers of God. They're doing God's work. So honor and respect them. Because if you disrespect them, you are disrespecting God. Paul said this. Guess who was in charge when he was writing this? Nero. Our friend Nero. <laughs> and all that wicked and evil and disgusting and despiteful and vile and anti-God and debauchery that Nero was doing. Paul wrote this. When Nero was around, and he says, yeah, we still got to respect him. We have to honor him. We have to pray for him. Why? Because God put him there. 
as the authority for his justice. So Paul called him out when he went against the word of God. But Paul also respected and honored him. Why? Because that's what we do. Because we're different, y'all. We're different. We are in Christ. So our identity is not in who I am or what my daddy used to do or my mom used to do or what the generation before me did. My identity is as this peculiar people, this strange people. I've been called out of this kingdom into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven. Now with the responsibility to come back down to this kingdom, I'm an alien too. I'm not from here no more. So I'm supposed to be different. I'm supposed to just let the world see, oh, 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 no, I'm not going to participate in that because that's against where I'm from and who I am. What I'm going to do is I'm going to respect and honor. I'm going to call them out when they go against the word of God. Police, you shooting folks, innocent for no reason, just shooting folks. Oh, no, that's, 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 that's not justice. That's not impartiality. So we got to stop that. We got to cut that out. We got to do whatever steps necessary to make sure that happens, that ends. But at the same time, I'm supposed to respect that police officer. I'm supposed to honor him. I'm supposed to pray for him. President, all these folks. That's what the word of God says. What Peter did was just as vile and appalling as what happened in Charlottesville. Think about that. You turn on TV Charlottesville, you see a bunch of boys and men walking around with torches, saying all kind of terrible slogans. But Paul said, I had to condemn him to his face. Why? Because he was misrepresenting the truth of the gospel. See, it's easy. (laughs) It's easy to condemn stuff that's all in your face wrong. Like you turn on TV and say, oh, yeah, that's, look at those. Those guys are racist. I can't believe it. Look at what they're saying. Look at the flags they're waving. Oh, for shame, for shame, for shame. That kind of stuff is easy. It's easy to call out sin when it matches or it coincides with your ancestral allegiances or it coincides with those ideologies that everybody agrees with. It's easy to call out sin when it's like that. The difficult part and the part that we're also responsible for is to call out sin when it ain't easy. To call out sin when our ancestral or the society don't look at it that way. That's our responsibility also. That's why you hear people say, and I've heard people say, we'll talk about what happened in, in, in Charlottesville and the racism and the, and the KKK and the white nationalists. Don't, don't just call it sin. We know it's sin, okay? Don't call it sin. We know it's sin. Okay, we got that. This is racism. And we've got to get down to racism. We've got to destroy racism. We know it's sin. Yeah, 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 yeah. What they're saying, if you listen closely, what they're saying is that there are two different categories. They're making a distinction. They're saying that, okay, we know about sin stuff, but there's this thing here that we want to really knock out. The reason why, because if I identify racism with sin, if I identify all these things that society has accepted, if I identify it as sin, that means I have to address sin. After this sin and all of sin and everything that's sin. That's why they try to separate it. Because it reduces sin and it elevates this as, oh, really bad. Your church is, oh, we're so standing against homosexuality. We will not allow that. But at the same time, they allow other things to go on in their lives. Why? Because those are the easy ones to talk about. We can't allow that to happen. We cannot allow the culture to dictate what we call sin and what we don't call sin. It's easy to separate stuff into categories and to deal with something that I'm not directly violating. Well, I'm not, I don't do that, so let's condemn, 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 condemn. But as a church, we don't become captive to the culture. We don't allow the culture to dictate what we stand against. We allow the word of God to do that. 
So what do we do? We need to, we need to address some things. There are real dangers out there. I was talking to Steve about it last week. There are real dangers out there. I was listening to a guy named John Perkins. I went out to his camp a long time ago when I was little. But he was saying that the nation has compromised justice. We wrote this incredible document called the Declaration of Independence. And this amazing document called the Constitution, which is what they say is the most perfect human document ever written. And this Declaration of Independence and this Constitution, the preamble says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. This greatest human document on the planet, but at the same time they were writing that, they also went out and slaughtered the Native Americans. And they went to an entire country and snatched some folks from their land and brought them here and put them under whip and rape and bondage and slavery. Why they were writing, we hold these truths that all men are created equal. And so what happened was this nation has compromised justice. You can't start off something like that and expect justice to reign. So now we got cops doing what they're doing. Some cops doing what they're doing. We got folks in the White House saying stuff, doing stuff, acting any kind of way. All this stuff is going on because of the fact that we as a nation have compromised justice. The political system is incapable of addressing this. Uh, a congressman said this, uh, the right, about the conservatives, remain too passive and the left remains too political when it comes to ethnic divisions in the country. One side underestimates the issue while the other side provokes further conflict. Both sides distrust each other, but this must end in order for us to find national healing. But I will present to you that it will never end unless there's a transformation in identity by the body of Christ. So in conclusion, what do we do? We can't be captive by the culture. We have to understand who we are, that we are in Christ. Two, we have to be obedient. Go. Peter said, God bade me, God commanded me to go, making no distinctions. So I should be out there. What's my response to racism? Oh, your response to racism is go. Make disciples. That's your response to racism. Be obedient to what the commission said, the great commission. Make sure, like Paul told Peter, make sure that your conduct is in step with the truth of the gospel. And that's just, just, not just for racism. Make sure that my thoughts are in step with the truth of the gospel. I got the right shoes on in my brain. I got the right shoes on in my heart. I got the right shoes on in my will. I got the right shoes on in my emotions. Make sure that my emotions are in step with the truth of the gospel body of Christ, both the content and the scope, and then stand for justice. God is justice. God wants his kingdom here on earth, so he wants justice on this earth, and so I stand for justice. I will take conduct, and I line up the word of God. If it doesn't, if it falls short, we call it out, we address it, and we apply the word of God to fix it. At the same time, I also honor those that God has put in charge in that position, because he did. That's my response to this, guys. That's what we should do as a body of Christ. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We pray that you will help us, God, as follows the way. Individually, God, that we will be world engines, God. That we will recognize who we are in you. And that our identity, our transformation will go from who we are in this world to we are the mirror reflected image of you, God. Pray, God, that we will be obedient to you and go into the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things after I've commanded you. And, Lord, we know you are with us always, even to the end of the world, God. 
Pray, God, that we will make sure that our walk, our thoughts, our life, our emotion, our conduct line up in the truth of the gospel, both in this content, God, that we treat your word, that we preach your word, and in the conduct, God, or the scope of the gospel, God. That we will set the world, let the world know that the year of Jubilee is here. And there's freedom. There's healing in you, God. We thank you for being a God of justice, God. We thank you for being a God who wants moral fairness and impartiality, God. And I pray, God, that we will be that beacons in this world. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way. Thank you.